I'm going to hit record. Do it. In a house full of children. Felt Recoil, episode number 165. I'll take one. Welcome to the Felt Recall Podcast. This is episode number 165. To be entitled, I can already uh, wager here, this will be titled In a House Full of Children. Yeah, probably not. Because we have uh, two friends in the studio tonight. He's talking about us. Talking about you guys. Oh, yeah. One friend, JT's here. And then uh, Chris Harrell, the other guy. Uh, we're going to have a good time. Thanks for being here, fellas. Appreciate it. Glad to have you here. Uh, Chris Harrell, you know well. We'll talk more with him in just a second on some important business matters. Number two, uh, everyone's kids are in the house. So if you hear that in the background, that's what's going on there. Um, and I promise you, you might have just thought, well, can't you tell your kids to be quiet? Well, yes, I did, Mr. Know-it-all. But they don't care. So here we are. Uh, JT Paris is with us. I'll introduce him properly in a minute. We'll dive into it. Small business owner. Um a Marine, once a Marine, always a Marine, and a, and a really cool, storied career with the Marine Corps. We'll get into all of that in just a minute. First of all, this week's charity of choice is the War Fund charity. Our uh, friend to the right of me, Chris Harrell, big part of GreenvilleWarFund.com, where you can go and learn about what they do and donate and help. A Greenville County Sheriff's deputy actually shot in the line of duty what would be technically today, right? Early morning hours of Monday, November mm-hmm. 15th. Yep. Um, he, as far as we know, is going to recover fully, but there may be some downtime. And if you don't know this, now you do. There can reach a point where a deputy is injured in the line of duty and both the department and insurance companies stop paying. And that's kind of where the war fund steps in. But Chris, you were telling me earlier, you guys actually step in day of. Most often you like to do that, right? We do. And that's one of the things there's, there's a lot of charities and fundraisers that take place for all sorts of reasons, but, uh, the, the charity itself has been in, in, uh, in place for about nine years now and, and came about during some, a series of unfortunate circumstances that took place, uh, years ago involving several deputies. And it was one of those things where we got our heads together and, you know, you compared to a lot of fundraisers are, they're oftentimes taking place after the fact and sometimes take a uh, extended amount of time to raise funds to assist. And we decided it was best to come up with something to where we would raise funds knowing that bad things will happen. Unfortunately, the law enforcement uh, will probably not be the last gunshot victim, uh, the one that took yeah. place today. Um, probably will be more, but, you know, to take a, uh, a stance that where we could actually raise funds and have those funds available so that we can instantly respond when, you know, while it's not the, the first concern, of course, is safety, but once we know that, uh, or health and well-being, but once we know they're going to survive and pull through, we try to take the, the load off. And like even today, we're able to respond and deliver uh, a check, the first of probably a number of them, because mm-hmm. he's going to be out for some time, just to the family so that they can know, hey, last thing you got to worry about is money right now. Yeah, and uh, probably takes an immediate burden off their shoulders and, and uh, you know, a worry off their mind as well, huh? Yeah, so that's the, that's the goal. And uh, unfortunately, do it quite a few times throughout the year. And as we've grown, we've been able to extend our our reach as well and help quite a few others so well it's definitely one of those things i think where uh, the casual observer to label myself looks at things like that and you always think man wish there was something i could do to help uh and here it is greenvillewarfund.com that's greenvillewarfund.com assisting the wounded and recovering as soon as they need it at greenvillewarfund.com it's this week's 
charity of choice. Okay, uh, let's turn our attention to Mr. J.T. Paris, correct? Absolutely. That's you? That's your name? Today. Okay, yeah. all right, today. Uh, you. I'm going to do your resume here in order, uh, uh, chronological order, not order of importance or anything, but uh, former Spec Ops canine handler, currently in law enforcement, and also a small business owner, correct? Correct. Okay, what uh, Spec Ops canine handler, tell me about that. Where, where'd you get started? Who are you? Where'd you come from? Uh, born and raised in Spartanburg, uh, South Carolina. Apologies for that. Yeah, uh, yeah well, okay. it's not as bad. I live right outside of the city limits. Oh. <laughs> My dad was in law enforcement, so I felt pretty safe. Oh, I got it. So outside of Spartanburg? Uh, like a mile oh. in the city. Okay. Yeah, Condolences. Easy. Condolences. Easy. We don't have traffic. <laughs> have you ever heard of Westgate Mall? Don't when go, it was cool. Yeah. Don't go there. When yeah. it was cool, yeah. Had the Piccadilly. You go over there and eat, yeah, eat man. fried chicken and square jello. My I've dad been there. actually worked a side job there when I was a kid. I remember going, they used to have a cop sit there and my dad would be there. Yeah. So I'd go up and I'd eat all the jello and watch dad make extra money. Oh, that's so funny. What? So, see? Thank you for proving my point about Spartanburg. The Jello joint needed a police officer at the door. <laughs> Absolutely. But he also, he, I mean, he, he also worked side jobs at like the Diamond Ring place. So like he could yeah. afford my mom's, he'd get my mom's, he worked side jobs at a Diamond joint yeah. downtown. Yeah. And he worked there and never got paid. And then when oh, he was no. ready to propose to my mom, he just, the dude Cashed threw him in. a ring. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty uh, cool. I was about to ask which paid more. I can attest, by the way, I once, uh, when I moved to Birmingham, Alabama. I'm sorry. Yep. See? See? Same about your Spartanburg life. We, when I moved there, I remember um, knowing nothing about the town. Other than two-a-days, watching two-a-days with Hoover High. Well, see, sort of, yeah. And then I got told to shut up. I can tell you a story about that. It was pretty funny. I made fun of Rush Probst. I think I told that story here recently. It, it wasn't yeah. Yeah, 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 okay, person. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you said right. something, and they were like, eh. Yeah, because he would pray for Jesus to help him win a football game, and I was like, <laughs> dear Lord, we know there's kids dying of leukemia. I actually told that to a buddy of mine. I was like, because he's like, please, can you please pray for my son? He's on his, uh, his T-ball team's going to the championship. I was like, no, bro. <laughs> right, yeah, there's, I think God's got other things going on. Uh, so, yeah, I pull, uh, I pull into a Ruby Tuesdays in downtown Birmingham, Alabama. And when I walk in, there's a cop like right at the entryway. And he looks at me and he looks around and he goes, uh, hey, you need something? <laughs> and I was like, nah. nah, man, I wanted to uh, get some dinner, have a drink. And he goes, here? <laughs> and it was, I was, just put it this way, I was the only one of me in the restaurant and didn't really realize, I guess, where I was. And I was like, it's situational awareness. Yeah. So is that a, is that a problem? He goes, no, man. No. I guess go ahead. And I like walk in and I realize why he's stopping me. And I literally did a lap. And I was like, I see what you mean. Well, I'll see you later. You know, like a big gulps, huh? Type scenario. And then I walked out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. <laughs> you uh, grew up in Spartanburg. Yep. Uh, your dad was in law enforcement. Sounds like. Yep, still is. Still is. Still is. Same department the whole no, way through? Or? No. Okay. No, not the same department. All right. He, he's still a police officer. Still in Spartanburg? Yep. Okay, cool. Been there since, I think, 87. He's done his time. So when did you, what age were you when you signed up for the Marine Corps? Uh, 18. 18 off to Paris Island. <clears throat> 18, almost 19. Yeah, I joined the delayed entry program, so I was still in high school. I graduated from, I was going, I was halfway through my 10th grade year. Um, and my dad took a position doing investigations for Regions Bank. 
and you know more money, three kids. He was like, oh, well, yeah, why would you not? We moved to uh, Aiken, South Carolina. Yeah, and I graduated from high school down there. Okay, and you know tenth grade halfway in, I was like, oh, man, this place stinks. I was like, in Aiken, I mean, they had dirt roads downtown. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, this is not for me. Left all my friends, and I was like, I'm just got to get the first bus out of here. Yeah, and uh, was looking online. My grades stunk. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to go to college. If I did, it was going to be a financial burden on my family. And I remember 9-11 and all that stuff going on. I was like, man, I was like, I'd do something. I mean, I'd do that. It's no big deal. Yeah. To went to a recruiter's office and boom. There it goes. How old were you on 9-11? Seventh grade. Oh, no kidding. Okay. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was, was pissed. Yeah. To put it bluntly. I was yeah. mad. Yeah. And I knew right then and there. I was like, I got to do something. Yeah. Like. And so it's just, it gets kind of brewed. And as you get older, you know, you do the high school thing and you're like, you know, things get put on the back burner, work in and doing all that. And I was like, man, it, it was always like a burning desire to do something. So when I jumped in, I just dove in head first, a shallow end. Yeah. And he had five or six years of resentment in a way, building up, ready to go out there. And, uh, yeah, it, a lot of it too. And I kept up with it. And I was like, man, this like, it's going nowhere. It's yeah. Like, it's like, I, I can do something. Yeah. So I was, you know, everybody else going off to college and, I mean, we had uh, we had a shirt that we had made when I was in Afghanistan, and it was like, uh, it was while you were chilling, we were killing spring break. <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah. We loved it. Eliminating evil over there while everybody else is uh, eliminating brain cells. It, when you go to Paris Island and your last name is Paris, I imagine there's a little uh, grief received. Uh, yeah, touch. Uh, it was weird too, and I was like the skinniest dude there. Like I had to like they wanted so many people to get in the Marine Corps at the time. They were like. What do you want to do? And I was sitting in the recruiter's office and I looked up and saw these guys coming out of the water, you know, face paint on. Yeah, like, yeah. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know. I didn't think about this. I said, I just want to join something. I really wanted to go in the Navy. Like, oh, really? I, you know, I watched Charlie Sheen and Navy SEALs and all that. And I was like, oh, man, I can do that. So I went to the Navy. And it was kind of one of those things like, you know, like when you find that first girl you want to date uh-huh. and you're like, all right, I got to ask her. Got to yeah. ask her. And then you finally get up the gusto to go ask her. Uh huh. And she wasn't home. That was the Navy. Like I'm not. Oh, really? They were out to lunch. No kidding. And then the Marine recruiter's like, "What you knocking on there for?" Yeah. I was like, "I'm interested. Didn't join in the Navy." They're like, "Come here." <laughs> Five minutes later, took the ASVAB. ASVAB almost failed it. They're like, "Not surprised." <laughs> Shut up, Chris. Thanks, buddy. I got it for but you, JT. Like, yeah, I got I almost it. Failed it. I mean, I didn't really want to do anything but carry a gun anyway. They were like, "You just have to be." It's, I felt like Forrest Gump. When he was sitting in the office with his mom, and they were like, JT, you need to be right here to be in the infantry. <laughs> yeah. and, and you're just right about here. Yeah. And I was like, perfect. That's all I needed to do. That's all it was. So that was kind of your intent was I just want to get in and play with guns and, and uh, kill bad man, guys, yeah. right? I, just, I grew up hunting and stuff like that and shooting mm-hmm. and, and just making stuff go boom was a real interest to me. I didn't want to be like, I didn't think after the Marine Corps, I was just thinking like, yeah. Right now, we'll go out. There's a war going on. I want to jump in. Get, get, get what I can. Get, get to do cool stuff. And then I wasn't thinking, like, I'm going to get out one day. Right. There's not really much industry for gunplay. <laughs> 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 but, like, I could be, like, an, an electrician, you know, making a good bit of money, having yeah. a trade when you get out. But I didn't think about that. I was just in it, in it to win it. Just in it for the immediate uh, gratification of whatever it is you felt like doing. Yep. Killing Aji's Par- yeah. Paris Island was a little tough. I can imagine it was slightly tough. If it were me and my name's Paris and I'm at Paris Island, I'm the guy that's like, 
You can't yell at me when old grandpappy started this place. <laughs> he knew uh, he'd have to be friendly to me because I'm family. Oh, they don't care. Yeah. Just uh, another warm body at that point. Right. Especially, yeah, post, uh, I mean, that many years after 9-11, I would suppose not many people were signing up because of the state of the way it was over there. Um, I don't mean it derogatorily towards anybody, but just in general, it's kind of a mess. A touch. Yeah. For a bit of a while there. <laughs> um, all right. You were, a, you were a spec ops canine handler, though. Yeah. So how do you get to that? Uh, lucky. Oh, yeah? Lucky. It was, uh, not diving into too much detail about it, I mean, it was a lot of, I was on a deployment doing a uh, anti-piracy kind of thing in the Pacific. And they come up, uh, got a, got word from Marsoc. Uh, they were like, hey, anybody here want to be a canine handler? And I was like, I don't know. Sure, if it gets <laughs> me off of this boat. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I got back, and then I, at the time, I was engaged to my wife and I'd already had orders cut to go to California and uh, told her, I was like, I can go try out for this. And I said, one thing I fail, go to California. Don't fail. Stay in North Carolina. Yeah. She's like, well, what do you think? I was like, I'm going to deploy if I go. She's like, well, you're going to deploy either way. So you're going to deploy from California. You're going to deploy from North Carolina. Which one you want to do? I was like, fair enough. I was like, well, just do it. I've, I've, I've in the back of my mind, I've always had that mentality. I was a smaller guy. I mean, and it was always that kind of thing. Like, oh, you're too little or you're too skinny or you can't do this. And I was like, I can do it. Yeah. And it was kind of one of those things. It was more of a kind of a told you so. But it was just a passion. Like, I always, my mentality is just don't ever quit. Always try. Always explore different op- options. Work real hard. Hard work breeds success. Sure. Hard work also breeds failure, but you learn from your failure and you grow. Yeah. So I was like, man, why just go with the flow and move on and just try something different? Go out and get your butt kicked a little bit more. And that's what I did. It was fun. So let me ask you, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to or if you can't, but what, what types of things is a spec ops canine handler jumping into? Like, is it... Uh, are you, are you it, mainly a, hunting down explosives? Are you hunting down bad people? Uh, is it both? It's a, it's a little bit of everything. Okay. Uh, it's a three-tiered fasted canine, and, it, and, you know, any special operations unit has one. I mean, they're, they're multi-purpose. They're explosive detection, human tracking, okay, and um, apprehension work. So, gotcha, gotcha. So, I mean, so it's, it's three tiers, a lot to learn. And, man, these dogs are one percenters. Yeah. And they're just, they're so smart. And you, they make you feel so small in the grand scheme of things, because I mean, I, I've always said it: if a if a dog had thumbs, mm-hmm. we'd be out of the job. Yeah, they could write the report, they could shoot the gun, they could find the bomb, and be done with it. They're intelligent enough for I that mean, to be a truth. Creepy. Yeah. I mean, the good Lord did a lot of work on a dog. And and how so? How long did you do that job? As a canine handler, I three three years three years and two in, two and a half three years. Yeah. All right, so let's let's say three for an even number. Yeah, yeah, how how many dogs did you have in that period? Are you stuck with one I that you one. deal with? Okay, I, had, I started with one, and it man, it is it is it's a personality thing too. Like I'm a really high strung guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you can't have <laughs> thanks, Chris. And so dogs work hand in hand with just like people. So okay. opposites attract. Yeah. So I had one started with him. Didn't really work out. Me and him didn't mesh. Um, had another one in a in a job. 
Yeah. And and so when you leave, what becomes of the dog? Does he move to somebody else? Mm-hmm. They push him around yeah, till he, I, he finds a handler that I, Yeah, I, I decided, you know, it was time. Um I had been married and yeah. You know, I, I could see um more deployments. I could see where the country was going. Yeah. Um other I, things became priority. Other things took priority and I, I decided it, at the time that I got out and left my dog, I uh was a hard decision to make like i had re-enlistment paperwork in one hand job applications in the other yeah and, and i kind of took the thing and there was a lot of life stuff with me and my wife and mm-hmm. family and stuff and and i found it at the time it was more appropriate to, to sure. con- concentrate on the family yeah i think that's a common refrain uh we hear from guys that were in the service and i don't think there's anything to even be bashful about about the idea that uh, you've done your duty you serve your country and then it, a moral obligation can shift Right to Absolutely. to having a family and, and raising a family and that's I did what I wanted to do yeah I, I focused on me for years and uh, it was time to get back and uh, I always thought it was interesting I, I think I remember years ago JT telling me they uh, he made some comment about getting married before you deployed I'm like why would you do that yeah it's totally well it, not totally off topic but it, he <laughs> he tells me he's like you know he's thinking he's like hey just in case I get whacked over there you're taken care of. Yeah. I mean, right. it's kind of yeah. sort of crazy, but they went ahead and got married. They were going to get married anyways. She hates it when I say it, but I mean, yeah, I make thirty extra thousand dollars or something if I'm married. Like, yeah. like, oh, I'm really? Saying, I mean, you yeah. can make more money. I mean, you get, but and she hates it when I say it, and that's not the reason I married. I was going to marry either way. I mean, but it wasn't. But, yeah, you but were. I mean, and I wanted to make sure she was taken care of. It was nothing, yeah. we're, and we're going to get married either way. And do you, JT, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, <laughs> to have and to hold in sickness and in health, and for the impending pay raise? No, yeah, until death do you part. And if you take one of the mouth, she gets five hundred k. It is what it is. But, I mean, we were gonna get married either way, and, and you know, I found it the right appropriate time. I mean, yeah, it, it was it was good, and I wanted her to be taken. It's the right of thing her. to do. Locking it in. Yeah, from the show. I mean, that's kind of make sure that she was there when I got back. You know, you yeah. don't want to be lonely when you show back up. Well, you know, anybody. I'll tell you this. Uh, maybe related to, maybe not related to it, but. Any guy that's out there and is like, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, I'll date this girl for five or six years, but I don't lock myself down. I don't commit. They just haven't met the right girl. No. Because everybody that has knows how quick you're willing to change that tone of voice. That was and really go. quick. So anyway, uh, you want to marry me? <laughs> and so you're legally obligated? It was dummy. It was a good time. Uh, yeah. No, she, her, her mom taught me fifth grade. So no kidding. Not for a while. Look at you. Okay, so uh, three years, Spec Op, Canine Handler. That just sounds like a cool job. Anti-piracy sounds cool, by the way. Um, Now you have a small business you own. What's that all about? What do you do there? Uh, My my full-time work schedule, man, it... In the summertime, it's pretty flexible. And I had a few days off, and I was sitting around. I was like, man, what could I do to, like, kill some time, make some money, Mm -hmm. and have some time? And... I really needed something that sounds absurd. I just needed something to like relax that I enjoyed. Yeah. And I'm sitting around and, you know, some of the best ideas that I've ever had come when I'm in the shower, just like it's a little quiet time, just drinking. <laughs> yeah. But no, just sitting around thinking. And I was sitting there and I was like, went to work one day and I was driving. It takes me about 25 minutes to get to work. And I passed like four or five landscaping trailers, people with lawnmowers. I'm like, what do they know that I don't start doing my research? And I was like, man. I like cutting grass, and I like doing landscaping projects. So I started a landscaping business. 
He loves cutting grass. I love to cut grass. Really? A lot. I love to cut. It, it's, and it almost, it sounds dumb. People are like, I hate to mow my own yard. I hate to do this. You're looking at it's him. It's very therapeutic to me. It sounds really ridiculous, but I mean, I, I enjoy it. It's instant. I can mow, turn around, and yeah. see an instant change. Yeah. And it makes a lot of people, I like cutting grass a lot and doing landscaping projects and, yeah. But for did people you, that can't, you know, that yeah. and doing for other people. And that, that was a lot of it too is um I like I mean, I take a lot from just doing for others. Yeah. That was one of it, you know. I can't get to my grass, I'm busy and doing for other people. I have time, they don't. What uh did your dad like doing yard projects? Did you uh, grow up with a dad that was always in the yard working? Until I was old enough to do it for him, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I well I wonder I mean, I grew that. up, it was you know, Dad had a riding lawnmower until I was old enough to push it. Sold the riding lawnmower, gave me a push mower. <laughs> it is what it is. You had to push the But, but was it his thing? Did he really enjoy no, it? I mean, he was working a lot. Yeah. But I always took, I, even as a kid, I remember going past people's houses and like, you like became what I became a homeowner yeah. and realizing that, that, that that's yours. Yeah. You take pride in what you have. And I take pride in what I have. Yeah. And other people want to take pride in what they have, but they can't. Yeah, sure. Work and family, and I can get it. So I was like, man, I can make make some money doing it. And I'm, yeah, make some money. A healthy amount. Until gas prices decided. Right now it's harder. Well, I was asking because. uh, Thanks, Brandon. (laughs) Yeah. My my dad loves yard work. I do not, but my oldest son does. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking it's one of those things they talk about that skips a generation. My little son. That's my excuse. My little boy loves it. He sees me pull. Uh, oh, yeah? Hey, Daddy's twerk. Daddy's yeah. twaler. Yeah. What's in Daddy's twaler? Yeah. Momos. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he, he gets on there. My son's too. He drives zero turn. Oh, he sits in my lap. He knows how to use it. I mean, he's nice. smart as a whip. I, you know what you're doing, though. You know what you're doing. Yeah. Soon enough. Get out there, kiddo. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, he's not going to ride a lot more. What's the, uh, what's the name of the business? Always Faithful Landscaping. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Always Faithful. Where do you operate out of? Like, what's your service area? Spartanburg, Greenville, anywhere okay. around. Yeah, just upstate. How do people find you if they want to use you? I'm on Facebook, Always Faithful Landscaping LLC. All right. Uh, we'll link to it as well. So people have, okay, you're currently in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ask too many details because mm-hmm. next we're going to talk about some stuff that uh, I'd like to hear your opinion on. Okay. But uh, can you give me a, a general rundown of, of what you do now? Are you out on the street? Are you in narcotics? No, I work what, what do you for do? a, uh, it's actually a really weird but interesting scenario um i work for a public utility as a like a, a recreational guy so it's kind of like a natural resources position but for a company but so i'm still class one law enforcement officer through the state of south mm-hmm. carolina i just work for a private company but so is I that started with uh greenville county in 2012 okay all right you worked with chris harrell for a little while chris right? harrell was my uh the man sitting right he, here he was the this guy that guy. What's That's that? the voice. It was really weird, but Chris and me have, true. I would venture to say, I'm going out on a limb here, Harrell, but I would say we're probably best of friends, wouldn't you say? I'd he was say my so. first first training officer. So first face of actual street law enforcement was Chris Harrell, other than my father. But when I showed up at the sheriff's office ready to rock and roll, boots weren't muddy yet, Harrell was the first person that yeah. I, I was introduced to you know that it's funny i'm gonna interject just so i give a clearer picture here you have been friends with chris harrell for 10 years or so from enforcing the law 
in my friendship with Chris Rell be, began in chemistry class when I was in 11th grade, oh, wow. and I used to steal his answers off his Scantron. I would look to my left. <laughs> I don't, Did you pass? Uh, wow. Yeah, oh, I didn't, man, I didn't know jack about you chemistry. chemistry? But I have no, no idea how, you could but find I got an A in chemistry, and I could not have cared less about a certain course in high school than that one. We, I have no <laughs> idea how, and I was not smart, but... Uh, you knew chemistry, pride. though. I knew he knew chemistry. I, oh. I can say with pride, I, I took it in summer school. I thought it was cool Oof. because you could blow stuff up. Yeah. We had a great chemistry teacher, though. Mr. George was awesome. Do you remember when I, I, I heated my snacks or lunch or cooked something on the Bunsen burner during class, and he looked at me and just chuckled and went off about his business? Yeah. No, I don't remember that specifically, but his I was, personality I was reminds cooking me. Cooking my lunch, right? marshmallow, yeah, and eating it. Going into it. What's he going to do? Like kick you out? Like, yeah. I, I really want to get rid of this kid that's really good at this. I'll <laughs> tell you this: we had. I, I won't name names here. I kind of did, and, and you'll be able to piece it together if, if you know where we went. But my favorite moment from our chemistry class. We're going to get right back to what matters most. But tell me if you remember this, Chris. We had there was kind of a bumbling earth science teacher next door that everybody oh, loved. Yeah. Everybody loved him, right? But he was kind of the nutty professor type. Yes. We're in our chemistry class one day. Do you know where this is going? Can you try and finish the story? And he goes, barely. We shared an entryway, and if you went right, was our chemistry class. If you went left, was his earth science. And the class doors would sometimes remain open, and you could see the entryway. And ours was open, and you see this earth science teacher burst out of the classroom through the double doors, and he chunks the two-liter bottle into the little grassy area. Do you remember? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Boom. <laughs> Uh, presentation gone wrong. Yeah. Chris has always been. Things like happen that. a little differently in there. It was so funny. That was a good time. Anyway, so I just see kind of a uh, juxtaposition here of. I remember Chris for uh, unknowingly helping me pass chemistry, and then uh, how funny that he goes on to to meet you and you guys. And did I know that together. any of that? Did, did I like share them like willingly or was? No, that? no, you weren't sharing answers or anything. I'm just saying like. I don't remember that. What your, I, your, your memory's kind of a little, it depends. Damn, you know. But you, you remember certain things. Like in 1992, I was wearing white Converse. Like what matters? Yeah. I remember. Well, we got, you get to a point, and I can never remember, but you get to a point in, in chemistry in high school where you begin these conversions of some sort. I don't remember what they were, but it was almost like molecular conversions where they're putting the elements together and you have to determine what they become. But it's yes. like a theorem thing. H2O. It's like a theorem thing. But yeah, but it was a little more complex. I remember my, all that stuff. My brain never comprehended it, but Chris no. was the kid in class that every time he got called on, he knew the answer, right? It wasn't like a know-it-all raise in his hand, but when mm -hmm. the teacher would be like, oh, Chris, and he'd go, oh, yeah. And so then I knew, like, well, I can get through this because it's assigned seating. Suckers! You know? And I just, <laughs> <laughs> he's got to always be there. I checklist. still have no idea why I know that stuff, but che I did. Checklist. Yeah. Cheat off Chris. That's right. That was, that Show was, up to uh, class, cheat off Chris. I was so bad in the sciences that I remember uh, in my 12th grade year, I had taken all my prereqs. Uh, our school allowed. You could take electives and all that kind of right. stuff, even in high school. Maybe every high school is like that. I don't know, but because uh, I only went to one. And uh, my, we're at the dinner table uh, on one night. My dad's like, yep, you'll be taking physics this year, and you're going to learn so much. I'm like, okay, sure. And then a couple months later, he's like, how's, how's physics going? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, man, I forgot to sign up for that one. Oh, well. And that's he on was me. not happy. <laughs> yeah. I hated physics. <laughs> that's, exactly. oh, that's on me, Dad. Sorry about that, Dad. Uh, I should have. 
It would have stretched my brain a little bit, but I just was never wired for that. All right. It's not about me. Let's go back to JT. Um, so you're currently in law enforcement. You started with this guy right. uh, giving you the the how-tos in Greenville right County, right? Yep. And then you're not with Greenville County anymore. You go somewhere else. Yep. Uh, and then you end up, it sounds like you're almost like a private contractor, but you, you have law enforcement power. Yes. Okay. All right. That's all we need to know about that. That sounds cool. Um so let's talk then. I'd be interested to hear, Chris, you're out of law enforcement entirely at this point, right? I am. Yeah. Quitter. Quitter. <laughs> Loving it. And you guys, <laughs> I'll say this, you guys have all my respect because uh, I don't mean this disparagingly towards either of you, but how anybody could be a cop through the Obama years especially and have maintained, you know what I'm saying? And then now we're, we're in a whole new, who could, Say it this way. After the, the Robert Gates, or the, what was his Gates, what was his first name? Wasn't it Robert Gates, the guy at Harvard that locked himself out of his own house and couldn't provide ID to the police? And they were like, or was it Henry, Henry Louis Gates? It doesn't matter. Mr. Gates. That guy. That guy. And uh, now he's on every History Channel, anything History Channel to do with race. They bring this guy in like he knows something. And when Obama called the Cambridge police stupid and said they acted stupidly, we knew, Quote. yeah, we knew that we were in a new era Absolutely. of federal government attitude towards law enforcement and the rule of law in general. But now we are in, if you, if we thought that was bad. Totally. I can't imagine now. Totally. I can't imagine when you're watching the Rittenhouse trial. And if you guys want to weigh in on that, please feel free. But we're watching the Rittenhouse trial. And the state of Wisconsin is literally defending people who have spray painted all cops are bastards on the sidewalk mm -hmm. and then are lighting things on fire. And in their videos, they show these things and it says ACAB on the ground. These guys are running beyond it. And then that doofus of an assistant district attorney is like, I mean, what were you doing with the fire extinguisher? <laughs> Putting out fires? Yes, I was. <laughs> Who asked you to do that? It's such an odd world to be in. I don't know how anybody would sign up to be a cop. I got a buddy whose kid is currently, uh, what do you call them? They're not cadets. I keep yeah. using the, t the wrong he's term. He's not old enough. He's not old, he's enough, not old enough, but he's, he's, out, he's, he's in the weekly program with him. He goes yeah, over there. Cadets program. Is it a cadets program here? Explorers, a cadet, yeah. Something, yeah. Like that, yeah. something like that. He's doing that, and I mean, God bless him. But he, a lot of it was the camaraderie that kept me doing it. I mean, yeah. to be completely honest with it, you, it, it got the to, friendship. I mean, we, I'm still yeah. friends with all my guys. I mean, me and Harrell, I mean, like, I mean you know. Yeah. So, I, I mean, mean it, it's a lot of just the love of the game at that point. You talk about that one incident, but I mean, I think, you know, even earlier than that, when Obama himself, via a uh, press conference, basically confirmed in his opinion, without an investigation even being done, that Darren Wilson was guilty of murder for right. the shooting of Michael Brown, when Obama's own AG, basically, even his his own AG, Eric Holder, I guess it was, mm -hmm said basically the same thing and then after whatever it was right. six or 12 month long investigation mm -hmm. came out later and said yeah none of that stuff we said myself and the president is true he was completely you know in the right in doing what he did and then taking the actions that he took you know different words but same message but i mean you know in doing that and and in, um just my opinion but i mean making those statements and saying those things was 
just to serve an agenda or appease a crowd. Or to taint a jury pool, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and I said it back then, but I mean, that was, you know, step one in, in moving that direction where you drive that rhetoric and mentality. And that's where we're at today. It was the, the thing that, I mean, you had all this stuff going on and, you know, man, and it, it was just knowing, I don't know if Harrell would agree, but when I would wake up in the morning and I'd be like, man, I do not want to put this uniform on. I don't want to go to work today because everything was such a, a height, like the <clears throat> tension level. I just went to work because I knew, I knew you were going to be there. I knew other guys were going to be there. Right. And I would not want anybody else watching my tail than those guys. And so you they trust went to yourself, work for me yeah. and I trusted him and we just went and did it. And my point on that note, and, and I, I'll speak for myself. I've, I've experienced that same, you know, we all got in this job or got in the job originally to help other people, to help it's those a lifestyle. that couldn't help themselves, to help those that needed the help. And uh, that's why we started it. Yep. And many cops start doing that job and they don't do it for barely enough money to pay the bills. So they're doing it for the right reasons and they're doing it to help others. So when you have people pissing on you for doing the right thing for the right reasons, the best of your ability and doing it in such a way that so few others will, will, would like so few others would even take that oath and do that job for those reasons. Cause they're out able to do a normal civilian job and make the money. But I mean, you know, it comes to the point where over the last years, since my previous mentioned, um, with, uh, with Michael Brown and Darren Wilson. I mean, and so many others end up, and that's why we're seeing such a mass exodus in law enforcement, but why so many others, you know, that there's a lot of folks that are cops that still stick with it because they're there, you know, at, at some point when they're, you know, uh, you're going to have to cut this. What is it? Just Dis, not disavow. Uh, dang it. What is it? Disown. Uh-huh. To, oh, here we go. to me, when I was listening to it, like, all the stuff that was going on, ninety percent of the people that will willingly grab you by the back of the head and rub your <clears> face on <throat> the dirt because of a decision you had to make in twenty seconds, right? Two seconds, or yeah, twenty seconds. Given it a lot, are the ones that have zero desire to do anything constructive other than ridicule someone, right? For something that they, I mean, that no, that no, not any time ever has somebody step up to the plate and just be like, man, mm-hmm. that sucked. I couldn't make that decision. And they'll just bust you for it. That was the hard part. And and then when I would get up in the morning, I'd be like, man, it's just another day. Go out, do the right thing, put your badge on, put a smile on, do the mm-hmm. right thing, and treat everybody like your grandma, but have a plan in the back of your head to if it really hits the fan yeah. to do work. Yeah. Who was it that had the famous saying of, uh, as one of the famous generals that said, yes. be kind to everyone you meet, but always have a plan, plan to, to kill, kill them. them. Yeah. And Harrell told me that. Harrell taught me a lot about law enforcement. He yeah. zoned me in. Like he brought me from combat to police work. It was and a he, bit of shifting gears for you. It was, it was a touch. It was a touch, you know, but was it like day week <laughs> one or week two? Week one, like <laughs> just, I'm on edge. It's like, like I want to get out with everybody. And I was like, yeah, why are they all like, we in Afghanistan, was, there's no power. There's no power. Nobody just gets out and strolls around at night, you know? And I'm riding around with him. I'm like, what, what is he doing? What is he doing? He's like, it, it's where we are, bro. It's just what they do. And I was like, 
We were somewhere in a call one day. Or oh, something. I gotcha. So you, so you mean like in Afghanistan, if it's nighttime and you're riding around, and you see people walking around, you're like, that's not putting, right. They're putting IDs. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're they're over here trying to figure out where you are because in Afghanistan it was like you could go to a compound, sit there. Yeah. Don't get shot at the first day. You're like, what? This is Afghanistan. You're supposed to get shot at. It's like yeah. okay. And then day two, you might catch a couple flyers. Uh, whatever, no big deal. Day three, couple more. Day four. Go ahead and write it off. You're going to be out there all day. You're going to be no banging kidding. away at it. They're just feeling yeah. you. See what you're going to do. I mean, they're smart. Yeah. They, everybody puts them off as they're like, oh, man. They live in Afghanistan. They're yeah. Bunch of goat herders. Bunch of goat herders. Oh, yeah. But they know what they're doing. They I don't know. know if you've read history books, but I mean. They've had centuries of it. I mean, that's all I've been doing. They're not doing. dumb. Yeah. But they know what they're doing. It's, it's It was different. And then transitioning to Greenville County, I was like, oh. Also. Dealing with a bunch of goat herders. There was one time we were somewhere. I don't I don't even remember where he might, but we were somewhere and rounds started cracking off and I know he, exactly went like, where. he went to like Depcom five. I'm like, dude, be cool, be cool. It's it's fine. I'm not gonna say where it was just because of the fact, but it was might have been near where was it? Judson. <laughs> I can tell you I was uh I was jogging uh, near my local YMCA one time. And probably my favorite interaction with a cop ever. And I, you know, I'm running and I was, uh, doesn't matter too much. I was good. Well, I was going to run the uh, Charleston 10 K. You right? run, you run. I uh, no, 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 no. I'm talking past tense. I oh. was going to. And, I was uh, thinking about it. Yeah. I thinking, I was thinking about I was thinking it. About Charleston in their 10 K you run over the, uh, uh, Cooper, Cooper Smith River. Bridge, yeah, Cooper River Bridge, and it's this huge suspension bridge, and it's literally a mile and a half up, and then a mile and a half down. So I'd signed up for that I'd six be done miles after total. Just the bridge, yeah. Well, there's a hill that was just outside my uh, YMCA, and it was in Nickeltown, and I didn't recognize this. Uh, at the time, and I'm running through, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of a shanty of a town, area. <laughs> and uh, I would run in, and I would run into these multicolored apartments that obviously looked like government housing, and the kids would all look at me like, oh, that's a brave fella, but I didn't know that's what they were Lost. thinking. <laughs> yeah, I just thought, you know, oh, hey, they wave at me, and they were nice kids, and I'd run back. So one day I was running, and I pass a guy, and there's two young girls standing next to him, and they hand him money. I see the whole thing happen, and he reaches down in his sock, and he pulls out a baggie of some sort, and he hands it to these two little girls, and then he puts the money in the other sock, and I go jogging, like, jogging right by the guy. You, know? <laughs> you don't see anything. <laughs> Hello, fine, sir. <laughs> and uh, you know, I keep going, and uh, I run out, and I pass my YMCA, and just after the Y was Cleveland Park, and so I see a, an officer in Cleveland Park, and I run over to him. I go, hey, man, there's a guy uh, dealing dope over here. I saw it happen. It's very obvious that it's happening. <laughs> and you know what his first question was? What are you doing over there? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm running. <laughs> yeah, I said, I, said, well, I, was just, I was running, and there's this big hill. I'm training for this. I'm going to run this bridge in Charleston, and, and there's this huge hill over there. And, yeah, and so I could run that hill, and it, it was conditioning me appropriately. And he goes, Oh, that's a great idea. Don't do that again, right? Like, he literally said, don't go back there. Saved your life. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. He said, I really would not suggest. But it was weird to me because it was literally, if if you guys are familiar, there's, there's a Cleveland Street YMCA. And I was yeah. a member of that Y, and you would walk out the it's back of the Y and, and, and down a path, and then there was the hill. And he was like, do not do that again. That was know, interesting to me one time. I got into, I got into, like, a foot chase, and I was running, chasing a guy where I was working. Running the next thing I know, I was like, 
That's Floor Field. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look where that is. That's a landmark. <laughs> They're like, where you at? I was like, oh, baseball. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I don't know what got me into that, except uh, that was kind of one of my favorite uh, officer interactions that, I'd had. That was kind of what Chris had to do with me. He's like, no. It just, hey, calm down. I got you. And, yeah. the, and the, me and him hit it off. He, he started out, he's like, what do you like to do for fun? I was like, tackle drug dealers. And I was like, uh, hunt. He's like, me too. Yeah. And I was like, did we just become best friends? He's like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you ever shoot steel? No. Well, you're about to. Yep. Yeah. True story. All right. Uh, so let's. If you do, you guys have any opinions on Rittenhouse? Does Does Rittenhouse walk? Should he walk? Are you guys allowed to answer those questions, Chris? I know you can. I you're do not, what I want. Yeah, do what you want. Uh, can you? I don't know. Let yeah. me ask you this. Wear a mask. Yeah. Uh, let, let me ask you got this. Got him. No. <laughs> Before we do our five quest, our, our one question five times, is it is it melodramatic to say no that the right to self defense is what's really on trial with Rittenhouse? Absolutely, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I believe so. That's I mean, a true it, statement. I mean, if you, I, it's kind of a twofold thing. Just I've always played devil's advocate with myself. Go right when, ahead. When it comes to when it comes to things like. If you know there's some bad stuff going on mm-hmm. and you go to a certain location mm-hmm. where bad stuff's happening, go mm-hmm. ahead and write it off that there's a propensity that bad stuff's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to put yourself in that situation, don't. I've right. always told people, like, just walking out of your door, you just increased your chance to become a victim of a crime. Right. You're not in your little safe space anymore. You're going out in the public. Bad things happen to good people, and that's an unfortunate thing. Yeah. Yes. I mean... Let me interject a thought there. Self-defense, though, yes. And I'm not disagreeing. I want to somewhat compliment your point there, JT, because I remember we had scheduled a sleepover for my kids at their grandparents' house somewhere in the middle of last year, let's just say, whatever it was. And I don't remember what the trial was that everybody was mad about. Maybe it was even this one. And by the way, isn't it interesting... That we're not hearing anything about the fact that the Biden DOJ recently announced no charges against the officer that shot Jacob Blake. There's there's no there's no reason to charge the guy that shot the guy. It's the incident which caused all the commotion in the first place, right? They so, got what they wanted up front. Oh, good nobody point. Nobody cares what I happens mean, on the back. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. Exactly. With each or most of these incidents. It's, they got the looting and the burning. They're Absolutely. done. They I mean, destroyed they a city. They hyped their agenda, if I can mm-hmm. say that. Yeah, you can. It, say whatever you want. It, uh, it's unfortunate. So in the height of all this, here's going to be this sleepover, right? And my kids are like amped about it. They love going to grandma and grandpa's house, right? Because they get away with whatever they want. <laughs> oh, my uh-huh. too. Yeah. They eat all the snacks, all the oatmeal cream pies. And we got word that agitators were coming to block the intersection near our house. This was like the popular opinion. This is about to happen. Be ready. Enough that I called my younger sister and I was like, I've heard you're driving in this direction. I wouldn't do it. I'd find a way around. So we didn't want to cancel it with the kids. We literally live five minutes from my parents. So I threw my rifle, take it out of the safe, and I put it in the truck. Absolutely. And I put the kids in the back, and I drove to my parents' house. And what the Rittenhouse prosecution 
has made me feel is if I'd have rolled into that intersection and I'd have gotten surrounded. You did it on purpose. They'd have said, yes, yeah, hey, you knew what to expect. These people were agitated, and you knew if you showed up that you would agitate them. So how dare you arrive and dare to defend yourself? How dare you take care of your family? Yeah. Or somebody else. I mean, it's a mentality, too. I mean, if you're willing to, I mean, I've always had the impression, if you're willing to do what you did, throw a rifle in the the truck of your car, you're willing to, if you see somebody in distress (laughs) and they need you, you're willing to step in. Well, and you know what, though? I've also been vocal about the fact that there's Black Lives Matter face masks in my car, right? Like COVID face masks that everybody makes you wear. I keep two or three of them in the center console of my truck. Because if I roll up on a Black Lives Matter protest, mm-hmm. even though I will be armed, I'm putting the mask on and I'm putting my fist up. Because my goal is non-confrontation. I just want to roll right through. Hide in plain sight? Yeah, I want to hide. Yeah. My, like we talked about earlier... My moral obligation has shifted. My moral obligation is not to the community. My moral obligation is to my family. Absolutely. Right? And what I want is to get home to the family as quickly and safely as possible. I have a two-year-old now, and that it it screams. And I mean, it coming with combat and law enforcement and critical incidents and stuff like that, mm-hmm. anxiety and yeah. the post-traumatic stuff. I'm sure. It, it's on edge. And I have found it to be, now that I have a son, I found it to have increased when yeah, I'm out in public. Yeah, just based off of that. I mean, going to Disney World. I mean, just just simple stuff. Going with my family, I've noticed that it has increased, and it's it's not an unfortunate thing. I I, I take it as I'm prepared yeah. more now. Do Do you have to just not watch the news at this point? Uh, or do I your do, best. I, I, I do, I, and I and I hit the highlights and yeah. uh, the. What really sent me over the edge was really the Afghanistan thing. Oh, for sure, I'm With, sure. And yeah. that 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 really did me in. Yeah. So I mean, but just watching the news doesn't bother me. It, it little snippets yeah. get me, but Afghanistan kind of put me over the edge with the media. I got you. Yeah, I got to a point where I had to just turn it all off. Absolutely. Like I, you know, I can like like you said, I'll read stories about the highlights. But otherwise, I can't have it on the TV 24-7 anymore. No, I just, it's un- it makes you mad. Makes you pi- I mean, it pisses you off. Yeah. And who are you mad at? You know, you don't know who to be mad at. It's like, I just want to yell at everybody at this point. <laughs> I hate you all. What are you yelling? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so, can I ask Rittenhouse predictions? Does he walk? Do, do any of these charges stick that he's facing, in, in your opinion? Common sense does not prevail. Oh, really? You think? Most often. Yeah. Lately. So you play Call of Duty? <laughs> that was one of my favorites. Next to what were you doing with the fire extinguisher? Oh, and then today, did you catch today where the prosecutor said, uh, wait, I don't want to misquote him. Let me <clears> find it. My buddy this. said it best. I told him about what he said because he, he kind of blames off the news. He's just like, forget it. I'm not going to listen to it. I told him, I put up the whole, do you play Call of Duty thing? And he looked at me with the straightest face. <laughs> and he goes, well, I played Pac-Man as a kid and I don't sit around eating cherries or ghosts either. <laughs> And I was like, solid point. I said, well said. And he kept eating his sandwich. I was like, what? Are you familiar? You're familiar enough with the trial to know who Jump Kick Man is, right? So, Jump Kick Man, after Rittenhouse was hit right. twice with the skateboard, oh. there's a guy that jumps through the air yeah. and kicks him in the face while he's on the ground. I'm telling you right now, I'll cheat you. Yeah. And he shot at him. He shot at this guy and missed him. So, that's one of the reckless endangerment charges comes from him shooting and missing this guy. Then is when 
Grosswurz or whatever his name is, came in with the Glock 27, pointed it in Kyle's face, and got his bicep evaporated or vaporized. Vaporized. After he already told everybody that he did point the gun. He, he sure did. Just one sept. The prosecution today in the Rittenhouse case said, I kid you not, Jump Kick Man presented no real threat of grave bodily injury to Kyle Rittenhouse. No real threat. You're being kicked in the face as you lay on the ground after being popped in the back of the head with a skateboard. And this guy, the state of Wisconsin wants you to believe you weren't in any threat of serious bodily injury. It's serious as that question. dude have, kicked you in the face. Have they, I mean, this is a serious question. Just you can die from being kicked can in the they, face. Have they done any analysis on Rittenhouse? I mean, he's, did he suffer from any traumatic brain injury from being hit? I mean, what, yeah. what have they done? Uh, that? Yeah, that's I mean, a good point. Uh, the answer is the defense has admitted in court that he suffers no lasting injuries and effects. I mean, he seems yeah. pretty articulate when he yeah. speaks. Yeah. And, and, you know, I wondered why they, they could have. My question would be, I never heard presentation of the evidence that people largely are killed more often with fists and feet than they are with rifles. Absolutely. In the United States of America. It's true. You're more likely to die by being bludgeoned to death with fists and feet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But specifically fists and feet. Here's people beating you and kicking you in the face. I would go, hey, wait a second. In Pennsylvania, I know for a fact, in Pennsylvania in like 2012, six times as many people died from fists and feet than they did from rifles. 100%. In the whole year. I mean, skateboards are probably not at the top of the list, but I would not bring one to a gunfight. Don't bring it out to a gunfight. I mean, but disproportionate use of force is a real thing. You don't have to sit and measure what your weapon's going to do against the other guy's weapon. If he brings a weapon, just handle your business. Yeah. So, and he did. And I, and my personal opinion is this will set a precedent for self defense Mm -hmm. in this entire country if some, if it doesn't go a certain way. I and hope it does, man. Because I don't. Yep. Go ahead. You got to take care of. Your, I mean, you got to take care. Of, you got to take your family. Yeah. And I mean, if that comes to the squeezing that trigger off, I mean, once that thing cracks, you can't take it back. That's it's right. gone. That's right. So make sure. I mean, got to stay true to it. And I feel with his, the way he articulates and the way he speaks and stuff like that. And I'm not speaking for him, or this is just opinion, world. But I feel like if you know if I've done wrong. And I squeeze one off that I shouldn't have. You got to eat it. Right. It's just being a responsible American. Yeah. And I think that kid would have. Yeah. And said, just, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I my did bad. That. I my messed bad. up. Let me eat it. What do you want me to do? I mean, like he ran how many times away when he didn't have to, according to the law. He kept running and trying to get away until he could no longer get away and was left with no chance. And we spent four hours going over the definition of being chased. And what you see, <laughs> and what you see in the media, like across a number of incidents where they expect the alleged suspect to continue running away and being the bigger person repeatedly over and over. Isn't that until, crazy? And when they have no choice but to stop being the bigger person, somehow they're the suspect Absolutely. and the wrongdoer because those, you know, it's that entitled mindset and it's traveling over. I mean, we're creating that in this country, but that entitled mindset yeah. is carrying over into the use of force. I mean, you got a guy that, like you said, He's running, he's running, he's running, and then in .75 seconds, which, by the way, great trigger discipline, great trigger control, uh, four shots in .75 seconds. And, and science will, will tell you it takes the human brain how long to react to, to an action. Because Guess. 
Point seven five seconds. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. All the money. Exact same time. So by the time uh, the the pedophile that was chasing him acted against him, it took Rittenhouse point seven five seconds, more more than likely, to process the action to notice the guy was pulling on his rifle trying to get it away from him. Absolutely. And then in an equal amount of time, he shot. He fought. Uh, he fired four shots to eliminate the threat. That's pretty incredible, by the way. Pretty incredible. So, um, Hey, we need him for a squad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But to Chris's point, what they're prosecuting on now is reckless endangerment because one of those shots was a grazing wound. It hit its intended target, yeah, but not fully on. And so since it was a grazing wound and went beyond that, and endangered the videographer. They want to get him on reckless endangerment. His cars are burning and everything. You know that's right. So, you know that's right. I so. would love to know. You ever missed before? What around? is on old Fuzzy Bridge's phone that the DA refused <laughs> to execute the yes, search warrant the because he literally said he did not want to know what was on it because Fuzzy Bridges. Sure, who, there was all Fuzzy Bridges. Old cool Bridges there. Uh, yeah, the D, the assistant district attorney Binger, the, the guy with only three steps. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, he's so smart. But yeah, person. I always I thought that was interesting. I don't think though. so. Either. I'd be so disappointed. If it, here's your defense attorney. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> well, you just locked me up. I'm 15, totally 15 to life. I don't understand. I'm totally <laughs> speculating here, but the fact that, that like, how about that, that plea bargain? <laughs> the, the agency investigator that, you know, testified that I guess, uh, he was instructed not to execute said search warrant on mm-hmm. the phone of mm-hmm. him by the DA because he literally did not want to know what was on it because yep. it would hurt his case because. He $10 million dollars on the line. And heat from someone else to ensure there was a guilty verdict be- to assist with whatever agenda it is that's behind all this. I mean, in what case could you allow somebody who will get $10 million? He's looking for $10 million bucks if he can prove negligence from the city and the county and the defendant. Why is that guy allowed to testify? That is a biased witness if ever there was one. Why are you here? Yep. Ten million. I don't think any of the murder charges stick. Nope, I think I don't he gets think, away with it. I'm with you. I think it's. I think it's off. It should. If it doesn't, we will likely see some civil unrest on the other side. <laughs> yeah, they've already got National Guard in place, by the way. All right, let's wrap it up. We'll do one question five times. You ready for this? Yeah. Go ahead. All right. We're gonna we're gonna go through these lickety splits. Uh, thanks to Chris Horrell, Chris, what is, what is his name again? Chris Horrell, uh, for being here with the war fund, visit greenvillewarfund.com, greenvillewarfund.com. Don't forget to do that. Okay. JT Paris. Here we go. One question, five times. JT, what is the one movie everyone should see? Days of Thunder. Not going to ask why. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> I love NASCAR. So okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Number two, what is the one album everyone should listen to? Uh, Waylon Jennings' Greatest Hits, 1979. Good choice. What's the one book everyone should read? Lone Survivor. Ooh, nice choice. What's the one firearm everyone should own? Their granddad's shotgun. Today's JT Paris runs into 18-year-old JT Paris. What's the one piece of advice he would give him? Do it again. Do it nice. all again. Nice. I love it. JT Paris, thank you, man. Appreciate it, man. It's been a heck Appreciate of a good all. time. Yep. 
I hope you'll do this again with us. Uh, anytime's coming. All yeah. right. Doors always open, okay? Yes, sir. All right. That's it for the Felt Recall Podcast number 165. We'll be back next Tuesday with another brand new episode. You can find us online at feltrecallshow.com. Big thanks to JT for being here. Big thanks to Chris Harrell. And extraordinary thanks to everybody at the War Fund who does what they do. Please go and help them. Help those who protect us. GreenvilleWarFund.com is the web address. GreenvilleWarFund.com.